Hello, everyone. Welcome to November's Work Now in the Future. I am not quite sure how it is November already, but thank you for being here. I am your host and moderator for today's conversation. I'm Natasha Poroskova. I use she, her, hers pronouns, and I am a consultant here at Living HR uh, for DEI and Creative. If you're in the conversation today, we would love to know a little bit about you. Where are you joining us from? Today, I am in South Jersey. Typically, I would be in Boston, Massachusetts, but introduce yourself in the chat. Let us know where you're joining in from. We would love to meet you. And for those of you who are maybe not familiar with Living HR, this is your first event where you're, you know, this is your first introduction. Welcome. It's so lovely to meet you. Uh, if you don't know about us, we are change makers reimagining the workplace to build inclusive cultures, optimize talent, embrace diversity and experience, and overall humanize work. Uh, because the average American, maybe sit down for this one, spends a third of their life at work, roughly 90,000 hours, that's a lot of hours. We want work to work for the humans putting in the work, so that's why we're trying to humanize the workplace. So if that's intriguing to you, you want to know more, check out our website, connect with us on social, say hello, we would love to get to meet you. And one of the things we do here at Living HR is we bring you these monthly events, these work now and the futures. We, and for all of our events that happen monthly, we partner with a nonprofit organization. So today we are honored to partner with our nonprofit group, Code Platoon. Code Platoon provides an immersive full stack software engineering course for veterans and military spouses looking to start a web development or software engineering career. Code Platoon was created to connect members of the veteran community with job opportunities using a similar model while facilitating the transition into civilian life. Code Platoon teaches veterans and military spouses marketable skills that leverage core competencies, transferring them into software developers through an immersive hands-on educational process and paid internship program. So as you know, today's event was totally free, but if you feel compelled, we would love for you to consider donating to Code to code platoon. So we will make sure to drop that link in the chat. So again, feel free to donate if you feel compelled to do so. And thank you so much to code platoon for the work that you're doing. And before we get started, I want to thank our resident artist, the tremendously talented L Powell, who is here with us right now, creating a live digital art experience of this event. So you'll see her drawing uh, the various panelists we have today. So thank you so much L for letting us be a part of this process. And now to the moment you've all been waiting for, the meat of the conversation, or for my vegan and vegetarians out there, the tofu of the conversation, make sure you get your own version of protein. I am excited to introduce our panelists today. Thank you so much for all being here. I'm gonna go ahead and give just a very quick high level introduction to each of them and I'll let them do their own formal introductions because I cannot give them enough praise. So I will have them do their official intros, but. Today's panelists include David Aspinall, Chief Executive Officer at Autocon. We have Doug Leonard, Chief Executive Officer at Clover's AI. And we have Dr. Dr. Lino Karamancheri, Co-Founder and Head of Behavior Sciences at Mesh Diversity. So thank you all three of you for being here today. Let's go ahead and start off with David, if you could give us a little bit more of an introduction to yourself and also the work that you do at Autocon. Well, firstly and foremost, thank you for having me here. Um, Natasha, it's great to be here. Uh, as you said, David Aspinall, I'm the CEO of Autocon. Uh, Autocon is a super interesting organization. Uh, we've been around for 10 years this month and uh, we have a very defined social mission. We exist for one reason alone. And that reason is that the autism community suffers from an 85% underemployment rate. And so we're a for-profit, we're unashamedly a for-profit, and we actually believe that the principles of business are needed in order to help resolve some of society's challenges. We believe in philanthropic efforts, we believe in legislative efforts, but we also think that business has to be behind the mission. And as I mentioned, that mission for us is to employ as many autistic technologists as possible. Uh, we do that in service of Fortune 500 clients, and we employ typically uh, data scientists, software developers, QA, test automation engineers, CRM and admin experts. So delighted to be here and looking forward to the conversation. 
Thank you so much, David. And we will certainly dive into a little bit more on the wonderful work that AutoCon is doing. So thank you for the introduction. Let's pass it over to Lino. Thanks so much, Natasha. Uh, it's, it's lovely to be here. Um, I'm a sociologist. Uh, this uh, DEI is my field. Uh, frighteningly, I think I started it about 30 years ago. Um, I spent the good chunk, the first decade of my work, work life as a consultant doing this work in the field with organizations, everything from small social services to, to corporate entities. And I, would, I was doing what I thought was good work. And then what I would discover is if I left or, you know, the CEO or the champion left, suddenly things would go back to exactly what they were. And it was untenable. So I had to figure out a way to make this not just meaningful, but sustainable. And so my co-founders and I uh, came together to create a software platform that would allow organizations that really wanted to do, uh, you know, real DI beyond counting heads, uh, do diversity in a way that actually would make a difference for the lives of, of people in their organizations um, and actually fight uh, the realities of social oppression kind of leaking into our organizations. We wanted to create a SaaS platform that allow you to do that. And that's what we've done. Yeah, thank you so much, Lino, for sharing. And we are partners with Mesh, and we absolutely love the work that you're doing. So thank you. And with that, let's pass it over to Doug with Clover's AI, which I know we're beta testing with right now. Yay, thank you for doing that. Hi, I'm Doug Leonard. I'm one of the co-founders and the CEO of Clover's.ai. And we built Clover's uh, really, we started in February of this year. We were really fortunate. We ended up getting a lot of seed uh, investment. And one of the reasons why we got so much seed investment is because interviews are broken. And we think that the technology today using AI, conversational intelligence, um, and everybody's use of video conferencing tools opens the door for us to do a way better job in interviews. Um, very specifically around deep uh, diversity, uh, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and we are we built this company to to close that gap and and to really join the journey and join the fight to have a more equitable experience during the the interview process. Our company uh, is, is something that we started with a guy named Adam Miller, talent management guru, guy that invented some of the space in talent management. I worked for him for a long time. And it was just a great time to start our company. And as we said, the, the goal is really to close the gap on, on interviewing and, and how we were equitable in the interview process, but also we could do so much more, improve the time to hire, uh, and then have the ability to coach, uh, give the tools to coach our teams to do something more than have a vision on, on Deep. Uh, it is really about changing behaviors. So we're, we're well aware of that and, and improving the candidate experience is super important to us. So that's what we are. That's what, that's what I do. Wonderful. Well, thank you all for introducing yourselves and your companies. I do want to bring one elephant into the room a little bit. I, we realize this is a talk about DEI and tech, and we don't have any women on this panel, aside from me as your host and moderator. We did make efforts to get women onto this panel because they are just as important in this DEI and tech conversation. Uh, there are certainly women, but we would love to see even more get into this space. And so I want to start the conversation really with what are each of you doing as companies or as individuals to advance women and non-binary humans in DEI tech? So let's go ahead and start off with, with Doug, since you shared last. Thank you, appreciate that. So we're, we're super proud of, of the work that we've done on, especially with our women leadership. So 67% of my leadership team are female. We seek to create an environment that they can continue to be successful. We don't just talk about equity and inclusion and, and diversity as, as male and female, of course, uh, it's the entire spectrum, but we've done so many things. But you asked specifically about women. There's a wonderful group called the Athena Network, which my team is going to be participating in. We do coaching and mentoring for the females on our team, not just at the executive level. Um, we are really careful in how we develop our, our job descriptions, uh, interview training, 
we we seek diverse sourcing tools all of the time it's like my our go-to plan is to make sure that we're doing that and we're really tight with our culture and understanding what we do uh, from surveys and just having great conversations and honest conversations um and and that seems to be moving the needle and and helping and of course with our product it starts with our company right and our company uh we have to have this this great focus and that translates to a great product that our clients can do the same. Thanks, and Lino, anything from you? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad uh, when Doug mentioned the importance of you know building a, cli a climate. It's one of the big mistakes that get made in DNI today is that organizations who generally want to engage it, they again, they start to count heads, right? How many people can I get in here? We don't have enough, you know, black women, let's get some more black women. And the problem is that it doesn't address the, the key problem of, of DNI and why it hasn't really shifted in 30 years. So, you know, just by way of an example, Mercer did a massive study of the financial sector, it came out in 2017. And I, I'm, in, I'm in Canada, so this really uh, interested me. In their, in their Canadian numbers, which reflect a lot of the other numbers as well. At the professional level, 46% of professionals were female. By the time they got up to the executive suite, it's 15%. Now, we're really good with understanding the glass ceiling. So there's this idea that there's a system in place keeps people down. And the challenge is, as you went up the chain through managers, senior managers, women were leaving at higher rates until by the time you're in the executive suite, they were leaving at twice the rate of men. So when all we do is think about hiring, we're not thinking about sticky floor. We're not thinking about open door, why people actually leave. And that has everything to do with climate. So what we do with the, the Mesh platform is provide real metrics that you can use on behavior to help drive more inclusive behavior, uh, experiences for folks where they feel increased belonging and psychological safety in their organizations in a way you can actually map that, understand where you are, understand where you want to go and those same metrics we can leverage during the hiring process so that you can have a better sense of who it is that you're actually bringing in, not by what they think about themselves and what you think about them because of our unconscious biases kind of play in, but by their actual behavior. And, and so it, it's a pretty key part of what we do. Thank you so much. And I wanted to go to, to David, you last, because I want to segue a little bit into uh, more on what AutoCon does, but yeah, what is, is your organization or you as an individual doing? Yeah, it's, it's a super interesting question, Natasha, and really kind of leaning in on what uh, Lino said. Um, this, this, these topics of uh, psychological safety and belonging, and it's starting with an individual's journey at the recruitment uh, phase, are really central to what we do as an organization. Um, and so we've got a very clear social mission. Our mission is that to employ as many people on the autism spectrum as possible. Um, by virtue of doing that, though, I do believe it makes us very intentional. Um, one of the areas that we have found that is really important to our constituents is the removal of that human bias in the recruitment process, which I sense, given the other panelists today, is going to be a recurring theme. Um, and what we have found is by replacing the traditional um, interview process with an autism friendly recruitment process, which involves uh, a level of gamification, which allows us to understand the technical skills or the cognitive strengths of the individual that's going through the recruitment process, and then not interviewing at all. We don't use the word interview. Um, the word interview is actually uh, generally speaking, a source of anxiety for our constituents. So we replaced the time we would have been in interview with chats. And our chief technical officer, who himself is on the autism spectrum, and our head of recruiting and community relations, who herself is on the autism spectrum, conducts those chats with a job coach. Um, and that allows us to get a soft skills picture. So at the end of that autism friendly recruiting process, we've, by virtue of removing that human bias that existed within the recruitment process, like I was brought up to 
you know, uh, execute the firm handshake, have, um, uh, ha have the kind of eye contact, have the verbal reasoning within an interview to be as though you're going to be in like a sales role when you're going to go be a developer and it has zero bearing on your ability to do the job. And so by virtue of being uh, having that kind of psychological safety and removing the human bias from the recruiting process, which is how we tackle our mission in the underemployment within the autism community, I believe that we also have some really positive knock-on effects. Uh, COO, our chief uh, client officer, and our head of uh, recruiting uh, are women, and that makes three of five of my direct reports. And so it's an interesting uh, it's a, it's an interesting way of doing things. And I honestly, and you know, I'll readily admit that I believe that it's our approach to serving our constituents that have led to that. But it's that similar theme of the removal of the human bias and really understanding who can truly do this job rather than having some preconceived notion, which is in play. When you brought something up, David, talking about the interviews and not using that language. And I, as a, as a whole, think that language is very important, especially in the DEI space. And I think we can all learn from one another. And I noticed across the, the panelists that we all kind of went back and forth between um, women and female. And I know recently within, especially in the DEI space, there's been a real shift to use women only because female can be exclusive to people who are transgender and it can make them feel excluded because female talks more about the, the biology. So I, I just wanted to bring that up, um, that it's an interesting thing to hear the, the back and forth between the two. Um, so food for thought. Uh, and David, oh, go for it. Well, no, really interesting because language is important and we find we, we find in the autism community. So the, the comments I'll make in response to, you, to your observation relate to the autism community, not in a community that is kind of pushing for gender equality, although I do believe that there is kind of that kind of cross uh, pollination, if you like, of that kind of being intentional and the removal of the human bias. Um, but within the autism community, language is super important as well. And um, for us, what we found is really the only way to get around the passion that exists within the language. And being completely transparent with you, we have uh, members of our community that very passionately wanna be addressed as someone with autism. And we have members of our community that very passionately wanna be addressed as autistic. And so the only way around it, because of the passion that one will feel if you uh, have a preference is to understand that preference and to, to address that individual based on their personal preference. Absolutely. And could I, could I pick up on it. that too? I, yeah. I, I love what you just said, David. There, there's a challenge in, in this field. We're always trying to walk this line between the science that makes these new understandings of human experience available and the politics that drive it. Um, unfortunately for us, the politics generally tends to step forward, you know, particularly on social media and, and Twitter. Um, gender is not a binary, but neither is, neither is sex, neither is gender identity. And when I say neither is, is sex, sometimes people are like, well, what do you mean? There is more and more science showing us that this XYXX chromosome thing is not what we think it is. And so we have to be so careful about, if, for me, I'm going to use a term, it's really super tricky, is jumping on a bandwagon <laughs> of which term is the right term. And I'm, I'm always kind of pulled back by, do I use terms strictly because it's what Twitter is using? Or do I use terms because it's what the science tells us the terms ought to be? And the perfect example of this is in terms of the LGBTQ community. 10 years ago, um, when I say we, I mean the population as a whole was being asked to say LGBTTQI, which is just untenable. But there was a real push in social media. You, you, if you don't do this, then you're not an ally if, if you're not in the community. But now you see the acronym shifting. So. 
we we really need to be aware but also wary of falling down rabbit holes it, it, it's it's a trick it's a tricky place to be these days yeah yeah and i i can share as a member of the lgbtq plus community myself there it is evolving and i typically use lgbtq plus but like you said it it's always changing and you know where where do you go social media or or science or wherever it is to get your language and your vernacular but david i know you were going to share well i was just i was just going to really again highlight the importance of this conversation um and the, the the language and the evolution of the language and understanding an individual's preference because in our mission and i'll make this point and i and i'll kind of acknowledge that i've probably been speaking a little bit too much at, <laughs> up until now but at, in in our mission like 85% of the autism community being underemployed, which, you know, there's an interesting word when you say underemployed, what does that mean? Well, it means that you may have the cognitive strengths or the skills to do a job that would afford you a higher uh, value, um, a, a, a higher income, um, a, a, a more rewarding career than the actual job that you're doing but you can't make the connectivity you can't make the step to get that job and typically it's workplace effectiveness workplace efficiency and communication that is standing in the way and so um language is super important but there's only one thing worse that is getting the language wrong and that is inaction so many people in our community stay on the sidelines because they're afraid of the language and staying on the sidelines and inaction is actually the only thing that's worse, but it's an order of magnitude worse. And so at some point, you've got to take a leap of faith and ask the people around you what about the language, immerse yourself in the language, because the alternative is just not feasible. The alternative leads to zero opportunity to address. Yeah, and I, I am loving this dialogue. I know we are about to launch our first poll question of the today's conversation. We'll have a couple of poll, poll questions that go throughout. Uh, so I think that will launch. And then I want to pass over a question over to you, Doug. But let's see. So our first question is, are you investing in new DEI technology in 2022? So as you see that pop up, I would love for you to go ahead and submit your responses. And while we wait for some of those to come in, I'm gonna pass over my question to you, Doug. So there's a quote from ere.net uh, that the quote is, interviews have the highest impact on the quality of hire, while paradox, paradoxically, it's a difficult word, also having the highest error rate of any hiring process component. And I know at Clover's, this is really the paradox that you're trying to approach and mitigate. So how exactly is Clover's AI doing that? Yeah, so if you think about the history of interviews that you've been in or that you've been, um, uh, you were the hiring manager, I don't think, and this is an opinion uh, supported by ERE for what it's worth, I don't think people get adequately trained. I think that they understand from a very high level, like, I want to figure out if I like this person. I want to figure out if they're a little bit like me. And people just lean into all of those unconscious bias. It, it just happens. And by the way, they don't do it well. The focus needs to be on competencies and skills and can you do the job. And now in this new era post, I love to say this post COVID, I, I guess that's probably not exactly true. But during COVID, Everybody transitioned to video conferencing tools, right? So now the, the new biases are there. Like, oh, how's their background? You don't think that it has an impact, but it does. How's their inter internet connection? Are they actually able to connect? Are they in a good place? And then you start to form all these biases based on what you see. So in, in a different environment. So with Clovers, we serve up, obviously work with HR and the talent acquisition, uh, we, we serve up the right questions to get to what are the competencies and skills, the things that make you successful in this role. 
And now here's, and, that, and that's not enough. So that's just one part. And I think it's, it's great, right? To serve up the right questions, have an IO psych, certify these, make sure that they're the correct, they're correct, correct questions. But here's the magic. And this is why I love your organization, Natasha, is what are you going to do about it? Right. And the, the, the idea that Clovers can reduce bias in the interview, not true. CEO here, co-founder, I'm telling you, I can't reduce bias. You know who can reduce bias? The hiring manager and the company. You have to become, uh, create a change and there's gotta be change management and there's gotta be a follow through. I will work all day long. Clovers will work all day long to expose the bias. And we actually have tools that show like, okay, you have three hiring managers and two of them thought that was a great answer. One person thought it was a poor answer. Let's talk about that. Why are you feeling that way? What's the conversation that you need to have to get to the truth of what that answer is and, and where the strengths of the candidate are? So I think that's a really big thing. And I'll give you a little a quick uh, history. I worked in talent management for a long time. I would go to the Fortune 1000 companies and I would hear from their CHRO or their VP of talent or whatever it is. And they would be like, Doug, we want to stay in compliance. That was the bar for the longest time, the compliance thing, right? And within the last two years, and this is another thing that happened that was really significant in our society, all of the social unrest, the, the, the correct social unrest, like people are like, holy cow, we have a lot of things that we need to correct on the, on the social, uh, the equity part. And it now has moved from keep me to, in compliance to how do I move the needle with DEI and B? And I really want to do it. And you know how I can tell there's this new role. And I know it's not completely new, but it has become very common, the chief diversity officer. And that tells me that companies are investing. They want to change. And you have a really good opportunity to cascade those changes throughout the organization. But companies need the tools to do it. Right. And this is just one tool. There's a bunch of different tools that can do this. And I support all of them, like because there's such a gap where we are and where we need to be. Thank you, Doug. Uh, we did get a question in the chat that follows this, this track. So I wanted to bring it up. Feel free, any of you to jump in. But the question is, you all mentioned hiring versus retention. Can you talk about how we can leverage recruiting within the company? Yeah, um, from an Audicom perspective, one of the things that is a feature of that underemployment prior to joining Audicon is a lack of uh, benefits. Uh, so no healthcare if you're underemployed, uh, no 401k or savings plans if you're underemployed, typical employee W-2 type benefits, but then also a lack of uh, learning and development pathway. And so the way in which we address retention within Audicon uh, is to, because we, remember that we're talking about people that are motivated by mastery because they're technical in nature. Uh, the way that we address retention within Audicon is that our CTO, who, as I mentioned, is on the spectrum, got a late in life diagnosis, will work with each of our technologists and create a pathway, which is an L&D pathway, that is in two halves, one is personal and one is professional. And the professional uh, element will help with in terms of training and investment. And we'll ask the individual, what do they want to specialize in, in their technical career as time goes by? Or do they want to go into more of an administrative type role, in which case we'll focus on leadership skills. And so, um, we're very focused though. Remember our constituents are a member of a group that is, uh, 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 that is, you know, has, has autism, is autistic. And therefore, you know, that is a very focused way of us addressing it. Um, and a lot of that retention is also facilitated by a job coach. So job coaching within our environment is incredibly important. The job coach is the expert at the auto, at, uh, expert in autism in the workplace. And we'll work with that individual as a start point from the recruiting process where we understand what their workplace efficiency, workplace effectiveness and communication needs are. 
And that job coaching and the nature of job coaching will change over time, but job coaching is always there. And so that's how we focus on retention. But as I answer that question, I readily admit that we're a very specific and kind of narrow um, in our field uh, driven by our mission. And therefore there's some lessons that can be taken from this. Specifically, I think around learning and development pathways, understanding what employees want in order to grow with an organization and then job coaching. There's a growing uh, belief actually within our organization that job coaching shouldn't just be for those people who are neurodistinct. It should be for the individuals that are neurotypical as well. And I think that that's something that we'll continue to explore as time goes on. And I want to dive into that a little bit more, talking about job coaching and creating those human-to-human uh, -human experiences. Today's conversation is about DEI and tech, and we're all about humanizing the workplace. So I'd love to hear how each of your companies, as tech companies, are connecting humans and the technology that you're creating. So let's start with Lino. Uh, thanks, Natasha. Um, I think you know the answer is kind of at the heart of what we do. Um, I, I mentioned this, I think, in the intro human beings are we're peculiar little creatures <laughs> we, we we judge ourselves by our intent and everybody else judges us by our impact and it's a, it's a pretty key piece of how dni functions and what the challenge is in it um so by way of an answer uh we had a lovely conversation uh, you and i and the panelists before this all started so I got a nice warm and, and fuzzy feeling towards Doug and to David. We shared some nice little, you know, family stories and such. Now imagine I meet Doug uh, at a bus stop and I don't know him. And I walk up and I say, excuse me, do you have the time? And he, he responds with this and he walks away. Well, I got to process that now. Uh, maybe he's having a bad day. Maybe he's a jerk and maybe it's something else. And I don't have the luxury of not filtering out the maybe it's something else. Uh, that, that's keyed into how I am designed uh, as a human being. I need to look for threat. Now, that kind of stuff happens every day in the world, whether it's around race or gender or sexuality. That that ambiguity in our social experience is pretty baked into how, how we function. When you come into the workplace, that's the key element that our software helps to get rid of because we start to understand ourselves in the metrics that we put together. And then we can better understand the community of folks with whom we work so that ambiguity can be peeled out and, and in easy ways that are easy to understand. So we just walk through life for the most part, just being who we are and seeing the world in the way we see the world. But when the metrics can show you, this is how you are actually being perceived. Um, if, if Doug is my boss and he's surly when jobs need to get done. I will experience that surliness differently if I am a white male, if I am a brown male, if I am a, a lesbian female who happens to be black. Like All of those differences matter. And that's what our software helps to pull out so that you can see it, understand it, and work with it better so, so that the ambiguity is taken away and we can be our best selves at work. Doctor, I think I need to respond. I totally give you the time. It's 1133 Central, um, just FYI. I appreciate that. By the way, I live in the South, man. We'll, we'll be friendly for sure. And there is a, a question in the chat that just came in from Cheryl about asking, are we going to see software demos during this webinar? We are not going to see any demos, but please do reach out to all of the companies to see you know, demos and potentially work with one of these amazing partners or work with us here at Living HR, any any and all, uh, but just wanted to, uh, to share that. Did anyone else have any comments or additions to what uh, Lino shared? I do, but I don't want to step on David if you want to go. No, please. Okay, so and, and we've we've mentioned this a few times a few times earlier and I want to it's it's underlining it. It's the idea of intention and language that is paramount. So the, the original question was like, all right, how, how do you make this more human? And when I say intention, it really does start with, all right, what, are, what problem are you gonna solve and how are you gonna go about it? 
And what's the fundamental pillar that you're going to activate on? And for us, the first one is to be human led. Think about the uh, an interview, right? It is a very vulnerable time for a candidate. And if you start to treat those people like numbers, or if you're not using or open to the right language, uh, create, it creates a disconnect and it doesn't get the best out of our candidates. So having that intention is really critical. And I'll give you a quick one that just happened in the news. Um, when Facebook uh, came out with facial recognition, do you think their intention was to make the world a better place or to improve diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging? No, it was for clicks, it was for tracking, and it was for dollars. And the, the, the social uh, pushback has been so phenomenal that recently they just said, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. And that was a really big part of their business. And I think that the intention was flawed. So having the intention is the start and then having the conversation is the next part and then action is the, is the third. And we believe that, I mean, that's it's foundational to Clover's which matters. And another, another really important part to bringing humanness to the workplace is belonging. Uh, there's a really well-known BetterUp study that they did, and it said 56% of employees with a strong sense of belonging report a higher level of overall job performance. And when an employee is performing at its best, it's doing the best for the whole organization. So how do your companies foster belonging with the tech or the data? Uh, let's start with this one to David. Yeah, we. This is this is a part of our business. It, it's visceral. The sense of belonging that we have as an organization, uh, and we experienced it in different ways through the pandemic. You know, there's a lot of stereotypes that come with our community, and oftentimes, I will talk in some terms of some traits, common traits that we see with our technologists when I'm speaking with clients. But I'm always really intentional when I'm speaking with clients or when I'm speaking with supporters and partners to say, look, what I'm about to describe is the trait of a technologist that is attracted to work at Otacon, not describing a community, not stereotyping and broad brushing in a community. And so, one thing that we see that is a trait within, and it's not a behavioral trait, it's more of a, a kind of sense of belonging is, you know, we recently, this, this, this year, we, when we, we, when we launched our global impact study, which I'll make available to anybody that wants to see it, it's kind of a, you know, it's a really interesting piece. We found that on average, that when somebody joins Otacon, they have been unemployed, not just not underemployed, like straight unemployed for 22 months on average. And so imagine the Venn diagram. There's a skills deficit in America today. Like the roles that we place our people in and then support them in on an ongoing basis, that, that there aren't enough people for the roles. And so think about that kind of deficit in the skills as one circle within the Venn diagram. And then think about this 85% underemployment in another circle of the Venn diagram. Where we exist is in the middle. And the thing that really comes naturally to most of the individuals that join our team is that sense of belonging because oftentimes it's the first place that they've ever worked that is autism friendly. And it's the first place because un underemployment can be that you're working in a fast food restaurant and you're a five-star Python developer. That's one form of underemployment. Another form of underemployment is you have felt like you've had to mask your autism in the workplace for most of your career because you have never found a place where you feel comfortable in disclosing your diagnosis or disclosing your autism. And so you've gone from place to place to place, and you've been able to pay the bills as you go from place to place to place, but you've never found a place where you can grow roots and truly belong. And, and you know, I started this, this, I started, you know, my comments here by mentioning the pandemic. Um, the, 
reason I said that is the stereotype that I referred to was there's a stereotype that about our community that there's a lack of uh, desire for social interaction. Well, the people that we have in our organization, nothing could be further from the truth. Like there's this assumption that there's no water cooler talk. Nothing could be further from the truth. We had to do uh, weekly socials. We had to do game nights, board game nights, computer game nights, quiz game nights to get everybody together to socialize because in the pandemic, as they left the offices, they lost that sense of belonging. Now, since we've obviously used technology to help fill that in, but you know, these comments are really to say that again, I'm in a very unique environment and because of the experience of our constituents, a sense of belonging within the workplace is something that really comes naturally to us and we're very lucky. And I've probably spent too much time answering it because of that fact. So I will hand over. Thank you, David. And I did want to share, we had our, our second poll come out. The responses to these polls will be shared. We will send this replay to everyone who registered. So if you're watching this late, hello to all of you if you're watching the replay. Uh, but please make sure to answer this second poll, asking what outcomes do you hope to achieve by leveraging DEI technology? Lino and Doug, was there anything that you wanted to add to what David shared? Yeah, Doug, could I jump into this one? Yes, doctor. Um, so it's a challenging thing when you get poll, poll data like this around people feeling belonging. I want to conduct a little experiment. Everybody on the panel, close your eyes for a second. I want, I want you, you included, you included. I can see you. Uh, close your eyes and picture an elephant. When you got your elephant, open your eyes. Beautiful. Uh, whose elephant was facing this way? Hands up. Nobody. Whose elephant was facing this way? When I look at you, that's the way my elephant was facing. Anyone's elephant facing directly at them? No. Anybody have a cartoon elephant? No. Or was it a live elephant? Mine was a cartoon elephant. Live. Yours was a cartoon elephant. Other people's were live. Whose elephant was actually in motion and whose was frozen? Frozen. 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 Motion. In motion. Okay. So I say something as simple as elephant and everybody's head goes 19 different directions. It's because your brain is associative and you're picturing elephants you have seen or, or, or known of. What do you think happens when I have a survey that goes out that says, do you feel belonging on your team? Because belonging is a hell of a lot more complex as a concept than an elephant. Hmm. So the challenge is people are trying to do their best when they engage this work. But unfortunately, the flaw in understanding the science leads us down some really problematic garden paths. Part of what we do is we put metrics on belonging, uh, inclusion, psychological safety, but we use the science to, to underpin how we ask the questions. So all of those surveys that you guys have ever seen uh, in, in the workplace, they're based on generally based on something called Likert scale. One to five, one to 10, strongly agree, strongly disagree. Um, it, that's great for social research. So if I say, hey, Natasha, strongly agree or strongly disagree that, you know, Joe Biden would win the next election if he if he runs. You have no reason not to answer the way you truly feel is the, is the way you feel, because it's not going to impact you, your family, your job or anything. But let's say for a moment that David was your boss and he was a micromanaging boss. And I said, on a scale from one to five, how do you like working with uh, David? Five. Well, no, don't worry. It's anonymous. Oh, absolutely. Five. Because people lie. We lie to save face. We lie to avoid stress, avoid tension, all of those other things. And when it comes to DEI questions, I could be the most sexist guy on the planet, but I know how to answer that question. And if I'm not the most sexist guy on the planet, I will answer based on my intent, not on my impact. So gathering information like that is a very specific uh, thing and the approach has to be specific. So what we actually developed um, is what we call a quad model process that really can't be gamed. So you can actually assess how much belonging people feel. So, and, and, and belonging has keys, science-based keys. When, when you're with your team, are they curious about you? Are they truly interested? Are they attentive when you speak? What is the coaching and mentoring like from your leader? What's the communication style on your team? And all of those answers ladder up to the DEI experience on the whole. So 
it, it's a fundamental piece to what we do. And I would just I would just caution folks in wanting to do this work well, and again dropping down rabbit holes because it's just the way we've always done things. Natasha, I know we're running short here, but I, I'd like to chime in just one thing. When I when we started this company, probably in like January or December, I sat down with my executive team and went, "What kind of company do you want this to be?" And you know what the very first thing was that they picked? No one said anything. We want to be a billion dollar uh, unicorn. Uh, it, it wasn't about like great place to work. The first thing they came up with was we want to create a safe environment. And you know, what? I had to really spend some time to figure out, well, what does that exactly mean? And it means letting people bring their authentic self every day and being open to the dialogue and open to I might be perceiving them incorrectly. Full disclosure, middle-aged white guy from the Northeast. I got a lot to learn. And I know it's a journey, but I know it starts there. And, and I think that's resonated and it helped build a great culture in such a short period of time. And I have another question I want to start off with you, Doug. So with within this work, we, you know, you all use data to bring DEI and tech together. Uh, and with data, there's quantitative and there's qualitative data. And so how do you bring those two separate things? Do you use them both? Is one more important than the other to you? What, how was that data used for Clovers? And I'd love to hear from Lino and David as well. So such a great question. And I would like, I, I wish the question was, uh, what do you plan on doing? Because to me, when you can you say that too. Okay. So, and the reason I bring that up is we're a startup, right? We, and we've already got clients, we're moving the needle and we're doing a lot of great things. When you start to build AI responses and AI to help facilitate a great interview, AI to help great coaching, you need data, you need a baseline and we're building that today, right? So since we're brand new, we need to get a thousand clients or 500 clients on board. And then we can start taking meaningful metrics, meaningful data and information about what is a great question, right? And we have IO Sykes on board to help us do that. Um, but I know that our client community would be really interested to know is like this question gives you a bad result. 90% of the time, and it's not getting you to where you want to be. And then the other part of the AI, which we need time to build, is real-time conversational help in the interview, right? And it's really simple. Some of the things like, okay, if I ask uh, Lino or uh, in an interview, like, tell me, what did you do with your family this weekend? Um, obviously, that's not a great question, right? Because maybe he doesn't have a family or maybe he doesn't want to share it or whatever it is. It has nothing to do with the competencies and the skills that I'm looking for. So AI now could say, yeah, uh, real-time warning, redirect, go to the next question, right? And that's what we're, we're doing. There's so much more that we could do. Um, I can tell you that I'm really sensitive to it. I gave you the, the, the meta or Facebook's, uh, what, they, what they were doing with facial recognition, that was a big miss. It really does start with getting real smart people in the room, a real diverse group of people in the room, and a council of people to say, here's the direction that we can go that will actually help and not hurt using AI. And that is a huge risk. And I know it's one of the questions coming up eventually, is that you, you've, it's dangerous because you could easily codify or put into an algorithm the same biases that you had last year or two years ago, and you just put it into a machine. And we're really sensitive to that. So what does that take? Thoughtful intention. And that's what we're, we're, we're going to do. Uh, I hope that man hits your question, Natasha. Yes, thank you. And I'd love to also hear from David and Lino on, on this one. David, do you wanna go ahead? Um. Lena, why don't you go ahead? Because it's it's one of those questions where our mission kind of really informs the answer. And so because of the narrow scope of our mission, I think like uh, uh, Lino might be better positioned to add further comment. Sure, sure. Um, uh, will do. 
Um, there's two different aspects to, to what we do. There's a lot of, you know, qualitative work that, you know, on the services side of, of, of the, the work that we do, but from a data gathering perspective, qualitative data helps to inform quantitative data for the most part in, in this field. So when we do, um, you know, let's say we do one of our benchmark culture surveys um, in, on your team and you get particular scores across uh, safety and belonging and inclusion. We could, depending if you give us the data around race and gender identity and sexuality and all those things, we can splice and dice the data so you can absolutely understand who's feeling what where. But the qualitative open-ended pieces that are also available in our survey structure allow you to get the deeper flavor of why those things are the way they are. Because if you have, you know, if, if your numbers are great, but there's still a bit of a lag back here, you want to understand why folks are feeling what they're feeling. Um, and so the, the qualitative for us just deeply informs the quantitative data that you get. And I love that you said, I think deepens the flavor. I immediately had a, a sensory reaction to that and felt a spice. So I loved your, your <laughs> language there. Uh, and, you know, flavor it also has to do with culture and how people vibe and the, the way things feel. And so I love, David, for you, um, Autocon's vision, I'm a really big fan of, which is Autocon improves technology applications by applying a neurodiverse perspective upon which our culture is built. Could you expand upon that a little bit and tell us, you know, what that looks like in practice? Yeah, it, it's this, it's spectacular when it happens. And so remember my comments about stereotype. Uh, and that when I talk about our team, I'm talking about a subset of a group of people that are attracted to work at Otacon. But the real, the real impact that we have is when you take the individuals that were previously underemployed and underemployed due to their autism, you remove the barriers through the autism-friendly recruitment process that best reflects the skills, abilities, and cognitive strengths they have for the roles that we have available. And then you provide job coaching, which is that help really helps with the efficiency and effectiveness in the workplace and the communication. Oh, and by the way, also delivers our IP from doing this a couple of hundred times to the client organization who then themselves starts to understand a little bit more about neurodiversity in the workplace. Because that job coach isn't just focused on the individual technologist. The job coach is also focused on the client organization to make sure that they're taking the right steps in which this is an inclusive environment for our technologists. Even things like fluorescent overhead lights might be a sensory uh, issue for some of our team. Um, you know, uh, some of our team might need to wear noise canceling headphones, might want to work in an office rather than in an open plan environment. The, and, and that's their very basic um, uh, uh, factors. There's also factors like you know, ensuring that any verbal instruction is also available in a written format for some of our constituents. So when you, that job coach works with that client organization and also works with the technologists, what we find is what our team can deliver for that client organization brings far more impact than if a neurotypical technologist was doing that role. And specifically, some of the traits, and again, these are people that are attracted to work here, like the data is the data. The human biases of interpreting data is something that I think is gonna be our next challenge in as we further kind of democratize decision-making. Like individuals with that human bias can look at data and they can make that data say what they want it to say. A lot of our team just can't do that. It's the blunt honesty in the data being the data, the ability to spot patterns in large amounts of data, a factual mindset, 
analytical thinking, problem solving and seeing things differently. So the net result of what we're trying to achieve is that the barriers that previously led an individual technologist to be underemployed or unemployed, if we remove them and pull them through, they become an autistic strength. And that's the goal of the organization. It's delivering that autistic strength to a client who at the same time is understanding what neurodiversity in the workplace means, not from a top-down compliance training perspective, but from a managed and supported experiential uh, perspective by having the individuals join their organization. Thank you, David. And I know we have our last poll question about to launch. There it is. Uh, the question is, do you think DEI tech is exposing bias, mitigating bias, or creating bias? And I'd love to hear quick rapid response from our panelists. Lino, what's your response? Uh, well, our, our tech is mitigating bias and exposing bias. It's definitely Great. not creating bias. David. If I replace DEI tech with what we do for the community, which is really the focus here, I would say it's exposing and mitigating. And what about you, Doug? Uh, I'm looking at it really broadly. Up until now, I think it created more bias to me, right? Clovers is primarily exposing bias and hopefully as a result, it's mitigating bias. But the history is littered with companies that tried to do this and created more bias. Yeah, we love the honesty thing. Thank you all for sharing. And we have only a couple of minutes left. I do want to get to some of the audience questions that we have had. Uh, we had one from Ali asking, how do we assess a candidate's state of awareness, readiness with regards to DEI? How do we conduct interviews in this context? So Doug, I know you work with interviews, so let's have you answer if you feel. Yeah, that, that, is, a, that is a great question. Um, I, I don't think there's an easy way to do this. I think that oftentimes in the very beginning, I said, we're really terrible at interviews. And guess where that starts is doing your homework on a particular candidate, because there's this tendency to treat people as numbers. And I got 100 resumes and I want to sort them out and screen them out. Uh, but actually spending time which people don't do, uh, to actually go in and understand. Like when I joined this panel, I looked up David, I looked up Dr. Carmen Cherry. And why? Because I wanted to know their, their point of view. And I, I took time to do that because it's important. I think that's step one. And by the way, Clovers gives you the tools to do that, which is really super important. And it helps with that dialogue. It's, it's a great question. It's not been cracked yet for sure, uh, but it starts there. Um, from, from our perspective, while, you know, hiring is not our main thing, uh, the metrics that we pull can help you map out what your culture looks like in the organization, uh, what your diversity intelligence from the cultural point from a team that you're trying to hire somebody into and the same uh, survey tool, the non-gameable survey tool that, that I described earlier, that can be applied at the hiring point as well to give you a little bit of deeper knowledge of the folks who might be coming in. And for us, it's the gamification of the technical element that's at the, at the, the front end. So take aside the replacement of an interview with job coach chats, technical chats and recruitment chats, which, you know, it's, it's a repurposing of the time for us. The, it's the gamification and having that hard skills as a start point so we can really truly understand the cognitive strength of the individual that is looking for employment um, as we wouldn't be able to function without that. And I, we didn't get to get to a whole lot of questions. I, we've had such a rich conversation and the time has fleeted quite quickly. I did want to ask one last question to all of the panelists. If you could give one tip or one resource for today's audience to walk away with, what would that one piece be? So Lena, let's start with you. Uh, the, the, the tip that I would give is kind of tied to what I said earlier, and I'll be super quick about this. Unfortunately, the, the, the world that we live in today is exceedingly polarized and it becomes very, very easy to point fingers at folks who 
you know, aren't doing it well, aren't doing it fast enough, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all I would suggest uh, to everybody is that when, when you and I think things like racism and sexism and heterosexism and ableism, uh, we think about the ugly stuff, but that's not where it lives. And for systems like this to be maintained, reproduced and supported, you need good, ethical, kind, decent, moral people to take part. You've got to wrap your head around that and be kind and decent and moral with each other as we move forward in this work. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Lena. Doug, do you want to go next? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's don't be silent. Take the initiative. Recognize that we're on a journey. Like, recognize the journey. Call it out. And then be intentional. I love it. David? Don't choose an action. Don't choose an action. I think that is a great way to end today. Thank you all so much for being here with us for Work Now in the Future. We would love to see you again for our last Work Now in the Future of the year 2021 that has flown by. Our year in review will be on December 2nd. So head to our LinkedIn, register. We'd love to see you there. And again, thank you to our partner for today, our nonprofit Code Platoon that's out there helping propel our veterans into careers in tech. So if you feel compelled, again, we would love for you to donate and thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your weeks and we hope to see you next month. Thank you, everybody. Thank Bye you, Natasha.